0: Hello, fans of Shulklistan, and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jaris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you? I'm great. We got snow this week, so I am ready to go.
1: I am in the mood for Beijing.
0: It helps to live in a snowy climate because we got a whole bunch of snow as well. And it's just like, yeah, we're here for winter.
1: And if you are on my Instagram, I finally got some Beijing items that were supposed to be for Christmas, but my husband uh, did not factor in the shipping time from China. So they just arrived, but they're fantastic.
0: Very, very cool. We also exciting news. We are on the short list for the best Olympics and Paralympics podcast for the inaugural sports podcast awards. There is a voting element to this. So please go and vote for us. It's at sportspodcastawards.com. Look for the uh, judges or the the leaderboards type section and and they'll tell you how to vote. That is good through February. We would also like to give a special thanks to all of our Patreon patrons for providing financial support to the show and keeping our flame alive. And to the new patrons who came on board this week, that was so exciting. It it always makes me want to cry just a little bit. means so much. So if you would like to be our patron of the week, you can check out our different levels of support and very cool bonus gifts at patreon.com slash flamealivepod. If you would like to give us a one-time gift, we have lots of options for one-time donations. Check out flamealivepod.com slash support for all of those. Okay. Today's guest, we are talking wheelchair curling today with Steve Empt. Steve is a member of Team USA. And in March, he will be going to his second Paralympics to compete in wheelchair curling. He was introduced to the sport about 10 years ago at age 42, which I love. I love that stuff. We love the old people and he instantly fell in love with the sport he and his team recently took fourth at the world wheelchair curling championships and they're looking to get a podium finish at beijing 2022 we talked with him about the sport how it works and what he's looking forward to at beijing take a listen steve thank you so much for joining us we're so excited to talk about wheelchair curling we're excited to get to see it in person because we both will be in beijing tell us a little bit about the main differences in the wheelchair game versus the able-bodied game
2: yeah well basically the two main differences are that able-bodied curlers slide out of the hack which is behind the house and slide and then just let go of the stone Uh, we don't do that we deliver obviously from a seated position obviously because we're in wheelchairs but we also we're up closer to the hog line so we, do, we deliver from a stationary position. I lock my brakes. My teammate comes behind me and locks his brakes or her brakes and holds me and just go ahead and deliver the stone. Uh, so that's that one. And then a the major difference, though, is that there's no sweeping. So sweeping makes a lot of bad shots look good. If you see them sweeping hard right away, that means the shooter did not do their job. They were either too light with the stone with delivery or they're off their target. So the sweeping kind of saves a lot of shots. So basically wheelchair and I'm aiming for a basketball size spot, 130 feet down the ice, and uh, I'm all my own as far as that goes. So I don't have any sweepers to save me.
0: Is your wheelchair
1: different than a standard wheelchair?
2: It is not. No, my wheelchair is, we use our everyday chairs. Uh, there is no difference in the equipment. The only thing you'll see is when we get on the ice for the first time for a game you'll see us roll around a little bit behind the hog line behind the hack whatnot to cool our tires off Uh, because if we just come on the ice and stop we'll literally melt the ice because the ice the tires are warmer they're room temperature so we roll around let the tires cool down a little bit with a minute or two and then after that it's easy to manipulate on the ice if i start real quick i'll spin my tires if i'm going real fast and all of a sudden i grab my rims i'll slide But for the most part, after that, it's just easy just to get around the ice and no special equipment needed as far as the chair goes.
1: So you have somebody behind you also locked and holding your chair. Is that just to prevent you from sliding on the ice?
2: That is to prevent any little movement in our delivery uh, because the stone is 42 pounds and we are when you're sliding out, it's easier to just let go and not have any movement on it. But if you're when you're delivering like we do which usually is a stick, you can deliver. A lot of people don't know with wheelchair curling, you can deliver by hand oh. because it'd be awfully difficult to do, but you can do that. But all of us deliver with a stick. So when we push that stick forward two, three feet or whatever to deliver the stone, we don't want to move at all backwards or forwards or left or right because it'll throw us off. If we just move one little inch where we throw from, by the time the stone gets down the other end, 130, 140 feet, we are off the target by about a foot. So that person behind us keeps us nice and stable. Some people, you'll see some people curling, they don't, they don't need to be held because for whatever reason, maybe the tires that day, the air pressure, there's a lot of things that go in. But for the most part, we all, we all hold each other's chairs. So we have a nice solid base to deliver from.
0: That's basically so the energy from your throw doesn't go into your chair and move you, it moves directly into the stone?
2: Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't, we don't lose anything. It's, you know, it's almost like a tank. When the main gun goes off in a tank, the breech goes into the tank to absorb all the energy. Otherwise that tank would flip over. Uh, So yeah, that's basically the same thing. We don't want any of that energy dissipating from where we're going with it and losing it and head down the ice with a stone.
1: Does that ever happen where a chair flips or slides?
2: I've fallen out before. A world championship in Finland, the side of the sheets are, there's these foam edging to kind of stop the stones and when you're going down the sheet that foam if you hit it with your cast or your tire it's you in like a snowbank when you're driving so uh, I fell out in Finland you know in world championship I see people fall out at the Paralympics it's tip over backwards you get too excited yeah it doesn't happen often but when it does you I mean you're pretty embarrassed when it happens but hey it's all good life happens right
0: when you throw we've seen that they've put these wool stripes in the ice what are the wool stripes for? And do you have to use them all the time?
2: Wool stripes. I'm not sure what you mean by that. never heard of that.
0: Are there, there guide guidelines somewhere in the ice?
2: There is a small line, two lines on each side of the center line. There's a center line that goes on the center of the ice. And then there's two smaller lines, 18 inches out on each side of that, that we have to deliver the stone in between those lines.
0: What do they call that?
2: They call the four foot lines. They call it four foot lines because they're on the edge of the four foots of the house. So yeah, they're called the four foot lines or some some people call them the TV lines for whatever reason. I don't know. But uh, yeah, those are called the four foot lines. So we have to, the stone when we start our delivery has to be inside those four foot lines. So we don't do it often on Team USA. We deliver the stone right from the center line because that gives our skip on the other end a better read of the stone and the curl. But I have seen in some cases if stone is buried on the other end and we want to tr- get a different angle on it. We'll we'll slide the stone out about a foot left or right to try to increase the angle of what we can see. But for the most part, we stay right on the center, center line. But yeah, those are the four foot lines. Yep, that's what they are.
1: So are you using the same terminology, skip by skip, as in able-bodied curling? Yes. And are they doing the same things?
2: They're doing the exact same thing. The same four and four in the ice. Another thing with wheelchair curling right now, it is mixed gender. It has to be on the ice, mixed gender. So we travel with three men and two women. It could be four and one, which, you know, you have to be careful because if that one person gets sick or injured, you actually end up forfeiting games. You know, some countries, Slovakia only has one female curler in a country. So does Latvia. So they have to be careful. But yeah, so the positions are the same. We have mixed gender. That's it. Obviously, able Body has men's, women's. You know, other than that, it's all the same. Same roles, same... Basically the same strategy. I mean, those able-bodied curlers with their sweeping and the way they can stone down the ice real fast is amazing, and they can do some stuff that we can't, so we don't try to. So it's a little bit more tactical game with us. We'll slow down a little bit. We don't run as fast, jump as high as them, so we slow down and play more tactics. Let's
0: talk about some of those tactics. How do you put a spin on the ice? It's is it the way the stick slides into the stone and how you throw the stone then?
2: Yes, there are two basic sticks that wheelchair curlers use. One of them is called the GTX head. It was made by somebody up in Canada. And basically we just we it's on the end of my stick. My stick's about six feet long. Uh, so the head's on the other stick and the head slides onto the handle of the stone, and we preset the stone. So if I want to throw a clockwise rotation stone or an intern for a right-hander, I would set it so it's at the stone is already set. So when it comes off the stick, it just rotates as a pivot point on the stick head and it just automatically applies the rotation to the stone. There's another stick that some people use uh, that old school kind of, I guess the the terminology before where they have to actually twist their arm or their wrist when they deliver the stone. Now that's poses some problems for some quads. I'm a para so I can easily, I have my full use of my arms but there's some quads out there in the world that cannot apply that, that turn to the stone. So the GTX head, when it does it automatically, saves them. There's a guy up in Canada who ducts, duct tapes his stick to his hand when he plays because he doesn't have the dexterity to turn his wrist. So if he didn't have the GTX head, he couldn't curl. And he's one of the best in Canada. So that's basically the difference in the, in the two sticks. Most of us use the GTX head where it just automatically applies the rotation. So we just literally line up mental pre-shot routine, go through it, boom, push the stick forward and it's automatically applied.
0: Okay, I'm the money person. What do these sticks cost?
2: My setup, my stick, my stick head is probably around $500.
0: We're starting to think that wheelchair curling was going to be a relatively cheap, although it is kind of relatively cheap. I mean, because you can use your own wheelchair. Correct. Yes, we are yes. into a sport that's that's fairly economical, all things it, considered. I mean it is,
2: it is. You know, you've got your membership dues for your local club if you're doing that. Usually you have to. That could be anywhere from two hundred to five, six hundred dollars for a year. But then once you get the equipment down, that's a one time purchase, unless you break something and you got your chair. And but on our level, on the elite level, we're doing a lot of traveling. So that's where it all that's where the expenses pile <laughs> up. And yeah, we get beat up on that, that's for sure.
1: How difficult is it to travel with that stick?
2: It's not. My stick is in three pieces, so it basically breaks down into three foot and a half long sections. I put it in a special case, and I put it right in my bag and put it in the belly of the plane. So, And I take my stick head with me, so I don't want that being broken anywhere. So I just take that, carry on with me, and we go. When we get off the plane. We pick it up. We go to the club and throw some stones.
0: Where is is the movement coming from in your body to throw the stick? Because I would imagine there's a good way to throw the stone and a not-so-great way to throw the stone. So where are you trying to get the motion from in your body?
2: There are many different deliveries you see, that's and that's beautiful. You know, when we teach this sport, we do a lot of clinics, try, you know, outreach. And when we teach this, we show them a couple different deliveries, and then it's basically, guys, you got to try it on your own. you got to find what works for you and what you're comfortable with. When I first started, I'm 6'5", about 240 pounds, so I'm a big boy. When I first started, I would be sitting upright in my chair, and then I would almost allow my upper body to fall forward and then throw, push my arm forward. So there's a lot of movement in my delivery. And I was always off with the weights. I was heavy, I was light, and I couldn't dial it in. So now I literally, in my, my shot, I just lean forward into my chair, and then I just, I do, I stop, and then I just push my arm forward. So the only movement I have, is my arm going forward about a foot foot and a half doesn't take much to get that stone down the ice if I have to throw a heavier weight stone a takeout or something like that I back my hand up a little bit and I throw a little bit harder that's it so different deliveries you'll see most for the most part a lot of people are straight on some people are a little tilted to the left or to the right depending on which hand they they use some lean forward some have special brackets on their chair where they can really you know, lean into if they don't have, you know, the level of injury matters. I'm a lower paraplegic. So I've got trunk, a little bit of trunk control. Some of these people I compete against are higher level. So they really don't. So they need a brace to hold themselves in a chair. I've seen seatbelts on chairs so they don't fall out. Uh, so it's basically preference in trying it over and over and over and throwing a bunch of stones and see what you like. So there's many, many different types of deliveries.
1: In a lot of parasports this past year, there has been a great deal of controversy regarding how disabled people are and people getting classified out. Is there any issue with that with wheelchair curling?
2: I don't think there's an issue with it, no. I know there's been a lot of talk about amputees, you know, a a one-legged amputee versus a dual. I apologize if I assault anybody by the terminology, but a person with one leg has more stability in their delivery than a person with two. So they shouldn't be allowed to curl or some something like that. I don't know. You know, it's not it's not difficult to get classified in wheelchair curling. The rule of thumb, basically, if you use a wheelchair for everyday use, there's a very, very, very good chance you'll get classified. So the, the amputees I, is the only place I've seen or heard, and it hasn't been much, uh, of any kind of advantage or disadvantage to what they have versus a quad or a pair or somebody with a spinal cord injury.
0: For you, do you get classified once or do you continually have to go through a classification process?
2: Just one time. I got right. classified back in 2014 in my first worlds in Finland. And that's it. Yeah. Once you're classified, I don't think they can go back. I mean, grandfather clause, all those terms, don't, I don't know. But no, in wheelchair curling, you get classified once and yeah, you are good to go.
0: I want to ask about the ice cube. Oh yeah. Yeah. You've been to the ice cube.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: So what is, what's it look like? How's it feel? What, it, what do you got, think?
2: I've got goosebumps right now just thinking about it. It's, it's an amazing place. And you know, when we, when I first went in there, it was, we were there what two and a half months ago for our world championships, which we took fourth place and lost in a bronze medal match. Incredible, incredible week we had. So we're, we're getting up there as far as USA curling. But when, when I first went into the cube, when we come in, there's a huge ramp, five, six different directions, but you, you go right past the diving platforms from 2008, I believe, the summer games. So, you know, you're thinking right there, all these divers and the best divers in the world jumping off into the pool. The sheets of ice where we curled was actually built into the pool. So they put a bunch of scaffolding in the pool, I guess. There's a video out there somewhere you can see, a time lapse. They put a huge scaffolding in the pool and built it up and it was amazing. So we, we curled on the swimming pool. And it was cool. One of our games, one of our the important shots of our game to actually win the game supposedly came to rest basically right where Michael Phelps took off and from one of his four-member team gold medal-winning sprints. And we learned that afterwards, and I thought that was amazing but just to be a part of it. And the sign, Beijing, the orange sign in the background, which you saw a lot when you watched the Olympics in 2008. Incredible history there for USA. But to, just to go in there and and see that place, and you know you right away you get down to business and get on the ice and and start curling and throwing stones. But you look around and you all the the seats were empty for the world. so I, I guess they're gonna allow some people there for the Paralympics. but yeah, it's a beautiful place at night it's lit up all different colors. It's right next to the nest right across the street from the nest where the I assume the opening games are gonna be as long as it, you know' snowed out. But you know it's just incredible incredible atmosphere and incredible places in history for USA and specifically Michael Phelps and his team, this beautiful place.
1: So how you got into curling is kind of a funny story. So you have always been an athlete. You had a car accident and were paralyzed and then tell the story. It's great.
2: Yeah. For 17 years after my accident, I just, I needed to find that sport. I didn't have, I never found one. I didn't, I needed it inside of me. I got a hole. I got to compete. I got to find something to do. I coached, Basketball, I did all right. I tried wheelchair basketball and it didn't do anything for me. Wheelchair tennis, road racing, the whole nine. I tried to dump a bunch of different sports, but nothing did it for me. So in the summer of 2013, I decided to go away to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, which is about a two and a half hour drive for me. And I just went up by myself and just get away for the weekend. I heard great things about the place. Let's go. So I check into my hotel in Falmouth. What do I do? I'm not from here. Where do I go? And they said, well, you need to go down to Woods Hole. It's a beautiful day out. Go down to this place, Woods Hole. You could go down to this restaurant called Pie in the Sky. Some free advertising for them there. And uh, grab something to eat and just sit outside enjoy the day. It's beautiful. It's on a harbor. Boat's coming in. Just enjoy the day. I park my truck in Woods Hole. I push up the hill. I'm at Pie in the Sky. minding my own business. And a middle-aged man comes around the corner. And he comes up to me and he says, uh, excuse me, are you local? I said, no, I, I'm from Connecticut, about two and a half hours away. And there was about 10 seconds of silence between us and i'm looking at him he's looking at me he's smiling i'm thinking i'm dead like i'm getting stalked here i'm trying to plan my route. how am i gonna get the hell away from this guy and finally i said to him do you mind tell me why you asked that and he said well i trained with the paralympic curling team here on a cape i saw you pushing up the hill down there and with your build i can make you into an olympian in a year and i'm like hey what the heck is curling never heard of it and b where do i sign up i heard olympics so i'm like let's go that man was Tony Colaccio, and he he parked his truck when he saw me pushing up the hill, and he walked around Woods Hole for 40 minutes until he found me. So fortunately, his wife came around a corner. We sat and talked for a while. I got stalked into the sport, and I love telling that story. I love Tony to death. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but he, uh, he gave me the opportunity that day. I went home. I Googled the sport. I went back two weeks later. I threw my first couple stones, and I immediately fell in love with it. And I am blessed and honored and grateful for Tony and his wife, Mary Colaccio, up there in the Cape to That gave me the opportunity to do this and, and be a part of this. And uh, yeah, but I, I got stalked into this sport. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we do. We do. That's what we do. And a lot of athletes with disabilities, I'm sure, for their own sport, stalk others. And anytime we come across a somebody in a wheelchair or a disability or whatnot, I know I do. I go up to them right away. Hey, hey what's going on? How you doing? Hey, you want to try wheelchair curling? And It's great. And... usually it's no, I hate the cold or yeah, what do you got? So yeah, I I got stalked and I love it. I'm I'm so glad I got stalked into the sport.
1: (laughs) The past four years, there's been a lot of development in USA Curling. So what's changed? What's been happening?
2: It is incredible times right now for USA Curling. We had a change in leadership from the top. Uh, CEO down, they came in and cleaned house on a lot. And with that change, there's been more of an emphasis on us athletes, us curlers personally, to step up and take on responsibility and take on the opportunity that we have here. A couple of years ago, we were at a training camp and my coach, Rusty Scheiber, a great coach, great person, Pete Annis, another assistant coach of ours. We have great coaches on a, in our program. You know, we had, a, we had a training camp out in the woods of Maine. We were camping or in New York. We were camping like 10 wheelchairs out camping in, in the woods of New York. And he laid out the schedule ahead of us. And, and the, with that schedule, I was well, I was still teaching at the time. And I told Rusty, I can't do this. You know, I'm going to miss 60 days of school with the schedule. I can't do it. Steve, if you want to do this, you want to be a Paralympian again, and you want to be a part of this team, you're going to have to do it. Otherwise, we're going to have to say goodbye. So there's been a lot of responsibility and put on us. And and that's been huge because we, we have earned everything that we've had the last couple years. When I first went to Pyeongchang in 2018, we didn't earn. We didn't deserve anything. We we deserve what we're getting now because I know myself, my teammates, I know the able bodies, the men's, women's, the juniors. I see all the hours in the, in the training camps put into this sport now. So there's, there's the responsibility just put on us athletes has been huge. And uh, if you don't want to do it, if you don't want to commit, if you don't want to sacrifice, which a lot of us do, all of us do actually, not a lot of us, all of us do, then you're not going to be a part of it. But if you want to do all those things, you're going to be a part of something great. So, been a great couple years, and we just keep on going forward.
0: How are you making it work?
2: It's because, sure,
0: well, well, there, I'm sure there's big money in curling.
2: <laughs>
0: well, wait, no, there's big money in wheelchair
2: curling. Oh, yeah. I almost fell out of my chair on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, any of us that are curling are definitely not doing it for the money. Absolutely not. Majority of people still have full-time jobs from attorneys to doctors and nurses. And on my team, we have a doctor, we have an accountant, we have a college counselor. So we gotta work. Fortunately, you know, myself, I've got great people around me, the fundraising, the grants that are available to athletes with disabilities. I've been fortunate enough to take advantage of those and uh, have some incredible the challenge athletes foundation out in california does incredible things for athletes with disabilities they've helped me out a lot again the grants and the the fundraising my community is incredible planning a fundraiser right now before i head out to beijing it's blessed blessed and, and fortunate to be a part of something huge and bigger than ourselves and have so much support from our family members you know my wife's a massage therapist we have two boys I miss birthdays, I miss holidays, traveling around the world, and it's difficult. It is absolutely difficult. But, you know, being a two-time Paralympian and, you know, I learned after coming back from Pyeongchang, in the history of the United States, is only about 12,500 12, Olympians and Paralympians in the history of the United States, and I'm one of them. So that's what we go for. That's what it's all about, and it's just incredible to be a part of this. So it's very difficult. There is no money in curling very little. There's some tournaments out there that you can make some money on, but anybody's doing it for the money. They're in the wrong, wrong profession. That is for sure. It's for the love of the game and the love of wearing Team USA.
1: So we know what we've encountered trying to plan our trip to Beijing. How is it? How has it been for you?
2: (laughs) I I can't imagine what you guys, I mean, we have government assistance. We have some high ranking people in the Pentagon taking, I don't know how you're doing it. It's been Neither very, wasn' yeah right? Well good luck. I hope to see you there. When we went over a couple of months ago, the paperwork, talking about choking a horse, the paperwork, the visas, the, the checks, the medical, I mean it was incredible everything we had to do. But when we got there, we got tested every day, temperature taken two or three times a day you know and I didn't hear out of all 12 teams that were there. I didn't hear of one positive test. so they did an incredible job while we were there. but getting there is a hassle. We still don't know when we're leaving. We're leaving around February 18th, I believe. I'm pretty certain as of a couple of days ago, we're going to LA for four days and then we're going to head out from there to Beijing. Don't know. It could change any, any time. As It's very difficult. And China is making it difficult for us. I think for everybody, I don't know if I should say that, but I think for everybody going into China, you know, they're... They're afraid like any nation is. When I came back from China, from the world, just what, two months, two and a half months ago, it took me 52 hours to get home from China. 52 hours and eight hour flight, six over 6 hour layover, three hour flight. I mean, we went from Beijing, I think to Tokyo, to London. I went to Atlanta, then back to Hartford. So it was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. So just get me there, get us all there, get the team there to get into our bubble in the village and let's have at it. Can't wait.
0: What is your training schedule like, both on-ice training and off-ice training?
2: Yeah, on-ice is usually anywhere from three to four, three to five days a week I'm on the ice for two, two and a half, three hours, just training with myself, just throwing repetitive, just throwing stones, muscle memory, working my pre-shot routine, my mental management. Uh, And then the days I'm in that off the ice on those days also includes meditation, some physical workout, some positive imprinting i have a 10 12 minute video of myself from pyeongchang you know of all made shots that i look at every day just to reinforce positive imprints very important uh so a lot of mental when i'm not on the ice i dry fire in my my living room i have my stick in my hand i imagine i'm on the ice i close my eyes and i see myself on the ice and i see the broom down the other end and i go through all my shots for about 30 45 minutes just, and again they're all makes so Every day I'm throwing a stone, whether it's physically on the ice or mentally in my mind. And obviously, mentally, if you do it right, you don't miss any shots. So I love doing that. But yeah, it's crazy. For me, I have to drive an hour and a half to get to my club. So I have a three hour round trip to get to my club, and I'm there for two, two and a half hours. So, you know, it's a five, six hour morning. Usually get out of here, my house, I leave my house about six o'clock. On the ice by eight, get off 10:30, I'm home by noon, and do the rest of the stuff. So it's it's crazy. And again, I'm fortunate and enough to have the financial support of my family and community that I could do that. Once the Paralympics are over, I got to go find a job and get back to work.
1: <laughs> so how old are your boys?
2: 16 and 13.
1: So they get it. What what's their impression of what dad does?
2: They they do get it. They're they're my step I obviously treat them like my own. My wife has done an incredible job raising them, but. You know, they do get it. They see me and Pyeongchang, it hit me. I got to slow down. I'm going to get emotional here. Pyeongchang, it hit me very nice. My wife sent me a picture when I was over there of the two of them watching one of my games from behind with my jerseys on. So I saw my name amped in the USA and watching me in the background. So that was was pretty awesome. They get it. They're proud. They see the sacrifices. They see me, you know, the workouts in the house or the dry firing or the, the, they see me, they see it. And that's what that's what's important to me is they see what it takes to be a Paralympian and uh, they don't have any Olympic aspirations in their mind ever for their lives. But they're athletes and they know what I've been through as far as my accident and overcoming it and becoming a Paralympian. So I think that's leading by example and showing instead of telling is huge. You know, you can talk all you want, but, you know, you see me doing something and you see me reaping the benefits. Then, then that's a big difference to me. So, you know, they get it. They're great kids. They get it. Like you said, they get it.
0: It's good, though. For, I mean, even if they're not looking to excel in sports and be at the pinnacle, just that dedication is applicable to anything if you want to be successful.
2: Anything in life. Anything in life. And I'm not, I don't sit around. I'm very active. I'm out there shoveling snow with them as they're snow blowing. I don't, you know, if I get on my lawnmower, I'd mow the lawn. So, I mean, they they see me they see they know what I've been through they know my story I they they weren't around when I had my accident I've only been in my life for about eight years now but you know they know what I've been through and they know everything they know all about my life and they they've seen me fall out and they've seen me have bad days and they see me have great days and become a Paralympian and overcome stuff so yeah they see it and uh, I'm sure they appreciate it and hopefully pushes them to do the same thing sometime in, in in their lives like you said
0: From 2018 to now, you're the only player returning from that team. How is it building a team in four years? And how scattered are you?
2: We are building this team has been a a team effort. I, I didn't want, there's no way after we left Pyeongchang. We were awful in Pyeongchang, ladies. We were awful. Individually, we were pretty good. We were all fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in the world with our stats. But we were just an awful team. And we obviously a lot needed to change. We didn't get along. I, when I got back here, you know, talking to some of my friends who don't know anything about curling, but watched me on TV, like, Steve, your team was awful. And they were right. We, you know, we, we just didn't get along as like, I thought we did. I thought we were ready. And I thought this and I thought that. And we, we we deserve this. We deserve to win. No, we didn't. We didn't put in the work like we do now. So when we came back from Pyeongchang, we had a serious coaching Change the coaches before were all right, but I mean it's just it, it was time. Uh, we had a turnover, like you said. I'm the only returning curler on a team, so we had four new members come onto the team. So I didn't want that to ever happen again. I don't ever want that to happen. My four teammates all realize that they're they're a part of this rebuilding. The coaches, the USA Curling, the support that we have gotten from USA Curling from USOPC has been incredible. You know, we went out and place fourth place six months before that we took a gold medal in the b tournament so they see the 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 money they're putting into our program they see that it's we're proving that it works the support so it's been a team effort uh, a program effort to rebuild this team and uh i love where we're at right now we we don't go out anywhere and hope to win anymore like we did we expect to win every game we play in and because we've we've earned it We have put in the work and we've put in the sacrifices and the long hours and in the virtual meetings, you know, weeks, weeks at a time. And we put it in. So we've earned it. We're going to go out there and and give our best and and take care of business and and get us a medal.
1: Is that the goal for Beijing to medal? That
2: that is the goal. That is 100 percent the goal. We are done putting on a good show. We're done showing up uh, and. We, but we've, we've proved that. Just, again, two and a half months ago, we were out in Beijing for the world championship. We lost in a bronze medal match to Russia. I mean, we, we, we played incredible. We had a great week. I didn't feel any pressure. It was it was flowing. It was jiving. We had good mojo on and off the ice. It was just, it was a great week. So we've proven to ourselves, we've moved it up upper echelon of teams in the world. We used to be down in the bottom, hoping, hoping one out of 10 times to beat a Norway or a Russia or a Sweden or a China, top teams in the world. No, we're we're not hoping anymore. We go into every game we expect to win. so we expect to be on that podium. Obviously, a gold medal would be fantastic and incredible for everybody. but you know our goal is to qualify for the tournament, qualify for the playoffs and then get a medal absolutely one hundred percent.
0: Are you doing anything mentally to prepare for the possibility of spectators, particularly being in China and the Chinese team is quite good and having them being the hometown favorite and all of the spectators would probably be from China.
2: Yeah, I don't, no, we're not to answer that. Right? No, we're not. And we know we have 11 games. We have 11 round robin games. We play China once. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe the place will be packed. And usually it's packed with kids and a lot of people that don't know curling. So they scream anyways. (laughs) So it's funny when we were in Korea, I mean, the place was packed and they bust in kids and it's four thousand fans and we're purposely throwing up a guard which is short of the house. And you know, they're like, whoa, oh because they want the stone to be in the house. They don't they don't know the game. So that's that's curling fans at the Olympics, Paralympics. So no, we're not we're not doing anything. We're gonna go out there and my four teammates and myself, it's we're on a sheet of ice just like we're back in Connecticut or Wisconsin or Minnesota or Colorado and uh to answer one of your questions before yeah we are scattered everywhere all around the country i'm from connecticut there's two from wisconsin one from minnesota and one from colorado so it's difficult for us to train together uh, because we all have to travel usually we travel to wisconsin so i have to travel the furthest but so a lot of the emphasis is put on our individual training regimens and when we do get together which is usually once a month for a week work on our team systems. Unfortunately, this month was canceled. We are supposed to be in Wisconsin right now, out there for 10 days training, but USA curling said, no, nobody's flying anywhere. Nobody's practicing where we got to get through this pandemic we're in. So we're gonna go out there and no matter who we're playing, we're on our own sheets of ice back home and just throw some great stones.
0: Do you wanna ask about the last dance, Allison? Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: apparently we do wanna ask about Number the last two.
2: dance. So-
0: you, you had a little
1: cameo because you were a Yukon Husky back yep. in the day. Yep. So how did that come to be and what was that like?
2: That was amazing. Scott Burrell, who I played with at UConn, he was playing with the Bulls at the time and hit him up for some tickets. Yeah, I got you. You and you know, three of your buddies come on out. So we drove all the way out to Chicago, what, 12, 14 hours or so. One, one of my buddies, Jerry, drove. So we get to the arena and there's four tickets. Two of them are courtside and two of them are way up high and plus two locker room passes. So I said to my buddies, I'm going courtside and I'm going in the locker room. So you guys fight it out for what you want to do. So my buddy Jerry, who drove the whole time, sat and went. In a, he sat up top and went in the locker room with me. So me and Jerry were sitting in a, in the team room and we're hanging out with Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen and Scott Burrell and a couple other guys just hanging out. And those guys leave and Scott Burrell hangs out. And door opens up and it's MJ and uh, he walks right up to me and How you doing, Steve? I'm I'm Michael. I'm like, no nah, really? I didn't know that. But he sat down. You know what? He he sat down for half an hour. An, an incredible. And I've been around a lot of NBA players, and a lot of NBA players don't wouldn't do what he did. But he sat with me for half an hour. It was eleven o'clock on a Saturday night. He could have very easily went home to his wife and kids, but he didn't. He sat there for thirty minutes. We talked, talked about kids, talked about basketball, talked about cars, life, and we just we just hung out. And and that was huge to me. And I don't. I don't have any heroes in my life. I'm my own hero. And that's, you know, when I wrote a book about that, it's on Amazon, you decide, plug there. But it's, it's about becoming your own, being your own hero. Look at yourself as your own hero. We have mentors in our lives. And MJ is a mentor of mine. Just because for that 30 minutes, he taught me that no matter how big you are and how great you are, you still have to make time for other people, no matter who they are. And he did that. And that's important to me. And that's one of the, one of the many life lessons I've brought taken from him i've met him a few times i don't consider him a friend of mine but he's a mentor but it was incredible to be a part of that scotty burrell had asked me before the last dance was aired or told me that hey you, you're probably going to be on you know they might interview you and i'm like no really All right, let's go i didn't know when so when the episode came on like two episodes before he was wearing the same suit and the last dance was in chronological order so he was wearing the same, I remember the exact suit he was wearing because I got a picture of it right in my bedroom of our picture. And I wasn't in that episode. And I'm like, oh, they cut me out of it. But then two episodes later, boom, there I was. And uh, he walked in and I almost fell off the couch. I'm screaming, I'm yelling. My phone is blowing up from people I haven't talked to in 40 years middle school, classmates, and texts and emails. And it was awesome. It was awesome to be a part of history because that documentary is absolutely history. And it was awesome to meet him and, and spend some time with him and now i can call him a mentor of mine but yeah it was an incredible experience the 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 press and the like they said the the, the emails and attacks and whatnot from all different people all around the world from 40 45 years ago incredible
0: besides competition and hopefully being on the podium at beijing
2: no hoping we're not hoping no okay.
0: besides <laughs> oh, let me, let me Besides competing and being on the podium in Beijing, what else are you looking forward to?
2: With Beijing, the Paralympics. Yeah. Being just being a two-time Paralympian is huge, huge. Another opportunity to go and represent this beautiful country that we live in, and wear the Team USA gear and roll out in the opening ceremonies. When I was in Pyeongchang, I was right behind the flag bearer, and. That was the proudest moment of my life, being able to roll out in front of 50,000 people, millions watching at home, right behind the American flag. So the opening ceremonies, I don't think there are going to be people there, but I mean, I don't even know what it's going to entail. But again, just being a two-time Paralympian has been huge. And these last couple of weeks, and I'm sure the next five weeks or so leading up to when we leave, there's been a lot of reflection going on in my life. Uh, a lot of media, A lot of media requests, which I love doing and I love the platform I'm on, but there's been a lot of reflection on my own life, and what I've done with my life, both before my accident, my accident, overcoming my accident, and just in the last 26 years since my accident, I have an incredible life, and I'm blessed, and I'm lucky to be paralyzed, I'm lucky to be sitting here in a wheelchair talking to you guys today, I should have been worse that night of my accident, possibly even killed, but I do, I wasn't, and uh so I am looking forward to the whole two-time Paralympian and going back and spending that time with my new team and sharing my experiences from Pyeongchang with them so uh, we go in as smooth as possible and they enjoy the experience like I did.
0: Okay, so you're getting a lot of press because it's the time when we think about the Paralympics. Mm-hmm. What's not been asked that you wish you could talk about more in the press?
2: Woo! Wow. That's a, that's a good one, Jill. I, you know what? I don't know. I don't, I don't think there has been anything. It's been the gamut of questions. I guess if there was one thing that I had, uh, that I wish or hope for is it would be more, more press about the platform that I have as far as an athlete with a disability and giving back to other people with disabilities and, you know, giving them the opportunity. Like Tony gave me the opportunity that day to do what I'm doing now. And I'm forever grateful for him. It's probably, you know, less if there was anything. And I'm not complaining because I I love talking about it and I love doing the interviews and I love media. But if there's one thing, it would be a little bit more of, you know, now how can we parlay this into you changing a 18-year-old kid who was recently paralyzed life? And giving him the opportunity to not just curl, but maybe go out there and realize that there's other stuff to do. The world's not going to end. And that's where my public speaking comes in. I'm a public speaker and I travel all around and I and I impact people's lives about just that. One of the many things that I talk about. So, again, I'm not complaining. I love the media. I love all the questions. I love everything about it. If there's one thing, it just be more about, you know, just everyday life. And yeah, I'm a Paralympian. I'm a two time Paralympian, but. You know, let's let's go out and impact these people's lives that have no idea of what's coming and what what can they can make of themselves because that's what you do best, Steve. It's not curling. I'm not known as a, a Paralympian. I'm known as an influencer, somebody that's gonna go out there and change somebody's lives. That would be it.
0: Excellent, excellent. I mean, it's it's really interesting. When we started, we we had an Olympic focus, and our our listeners were like, Hey. you can you do the Paralympics too? And we've added that in and just have been amazed by the athleticism and what people can do, but also disheartened in the lack of coverage or the coverage being all kind of the same. And it's one, I don't know where I'm going with this, Steve, but.
2: No, no. I, and I agree with.
0: Your way to to cover the Paralympics in a way that is helpful for other people to understand, hey, there's this option out here for you. Come on. Um,
2: Correct. No. I agree. I agree. I agree. And, and the coverage by NBC has been incredible. It's increasing every four years, two years, whatever, actually two years. So we're going to get more airtime than we did in Pyeongchang. And and that's incredible. But no, I, and I do agree with you. And the people, there's a line out there that says Olympics are where the heroes are, are made, but the Paralympics are where the heroes go. Something along like that. You know, you go to the Olympics and you're going to become a hero, but everybody at the Paralympics is a hero in their own, so to speak. So I like that. I like that saying. I don't, there's nothing, I'm not taking anything away from what the Olympians do. They're absolutely amazing. But the people I've met in the Paralympics, I mean, two people in general, one guy from Canada had one arm. You know, he was in a war and he lost an arm and both legs and he's a biathlete and he won a gold medal. And he gets around on a skateboard everywhere. It doesn't mean he's a wheelchair. He just gets around on a skateboard everywhere. And he wins a gold medal in the Paralympics. And then another woman, I forgot her name. She's from America. She's totally blind and she's a downhill skier. She was on Dancing with the Stars. But her husband is 10 feet in front of her and they're on two-way radios. And he's talking about you know, right turn, left turn, I guess. And she's blind and she's a downhill skier going 70 miles an hour What? and she wins a medal. No, I wouldn't even do that if I could see. So the people are incredible. The Paralympians, the stories we all have. Again, Olympians are incredible also. But obviously being a Paralympian, no, I I agree with you, but it is getting better. It is absolutely better. And the support is getting better. Four years ago, I can't, I wouldn't have been able to say that, especially from the USO, at that time it was the USOC, but now it's the USOPC. There we go. There's a great example. You know, it's no longer the United States Olympic Committee, it's Olympic Paralympic Committee. So it's getting better. It is getting better. And um, these people, these athletes that are showing up and doing some of the stuff that we're doing is incredible incredible and inspiring and just mind-blowing so but no i I agree with it but it is getting better
0: well i will i will say this i know it we all know the the two of us know it's getting better yeah but it it is a good thing that we will be in beijing and not want because we could do nothing but complain about the feed For, for,
2: for, for
1: tokyo it was so hard to see anything and and for winter there's even less available through the feed so we're uh, so, yeah and, and,
0: and sadly we know it's much better than it has been in like tokyo was so much better than rio
2: right but yep. long way to go yeah
0: so we're here to we're here to help advocate for
2: yeah well and we i personally and on behalf of all the athletes with disabilities and Paralympians out there we thank you for what you're doing but it's but it's it's difficult it's it's life it's life it's life and we know that it's improving. You know, we're all doing our part. You're doing your part. I'm doing my part. We're all doing our part to make it better. And as long as we keep improving, then we're on the right track. But, you know, would I love to have the the endorsements that Michael Phelps has? Yep. Simone Biles? Yep. But it's wheelchair curling. You know, <laughs> Not many people want to see the, the glitz and the glamour of wheelchair curling. So it's all relative. And it, eh, who knows? Maybe someday. <laughs> Not in my lifetime, but maybe someday
0: sparkly wheel covers come on
2: oh, yeah here we go full contact we need to make a full contact. if we can feel some contact in there, like people falling out of their chairs and yeah now we're talking we get some spectators then let's go
1: put it to music and wear spandex
2: uh, uh, i don't know about that allison you would cry, kind of cross a line on that one you don't want to see any of us in spandex all
0: right that is a great place
2: to end yeah i think i think we're done
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much steve steve is a motivational speaker and author of the book you decide you can find out more about him at steveempt.com and follow him on social he's steven.empt on facebook steven.empt on instagram and steve empt on linkedin we will have links to all of those in the show notes You know what else we'll have a link to in the show notes? The Beijing Viewing Guide. So excited that we have our guide again, because one thing I loved about the Tokyo Viewing Guide that we put together is that every day had a grid and you could see all the sports laid out hour by hour and how they collided with one another in terms of scheduling and how to plan out your viewing day. I just relied on that so much. Looking forward to having that again for Beijing also looking forward to the schedule being in alphabetical order, which the official schedule is not, which is so bizarre. Apparently S's are an issue. So if you would like to get your hands on that, go to uh, flameoflifepod.com slash store. It's there. And I believe it's also on our Beijing page and, or you can find it on Amazon. Just look for the Beijing Viewing Guide by Keep the Flame Alive on Amazon.com. And uh, yeah, it's really cheap. If you have Kindle Unlimited, it is free. Usually about this time, we have our Albertville history segment, but we are putting that on hold until after Beijing. So we are looking forward to telling you more stories about Albertville. I'm still mesmerized by the speed skiing competition. I'm working on
1: my magique piece. So that'll come (laughs) up right after the games.
0: Excellent. I am excited about that too, because I'm sure it will be magical. Welcome to Shukvlastan. This is the part of the show where we chicken with our team. Keep the flame alive, who are past guests of the show and who are uh, citizens of our country, Shukflastan. First off, we've got some new Olympians. Did you cry? I I was so so happy and so proud. First up, Josh Williamson, our very, very first Shook Flastani, named to the U.S. bobsled team, was the next Olympic hopeful, first season, one of the winners. And now, not a hopeful anymore, he's an Olympian. So we are so happy for you, Josh. Unfortunately, not named to the bobsled team, Lauren Gibbs, our silver medalist. Shook Flastani number two. Yeah, exactly. She was Stoney number two, uh, which is a real bummer. The I mean, for countries that have a huge depth of women on their team, it's horribly frustrating to be a push athlete because there's really only two, maybe three slots available, depending on how many sleds you qualify, or one if you only qualify one sled. But Team USA went with a couple of younger bobsledders, so a lot of the veterans. Include Lauren and Lolo Jones, who was making headlines this year, trying to make a comeback. They were not named to the team, which is really sad. And Lauren has announced her retirement. Not surprising.
1: First thing she did was throw out her scale.
0: Oh, good for her. (laughs) Because I just remember that, how much her body did not like being the weight it had to be to compete. So good for her. Also, bobsled news A.J. Edelman and the Israeli bobsled team are still under consideration to be named for the 2022 Olympics for the quota allocation for both the two-man and the four-man competition. This is, they've looked at all the points, they've seen how stuff shakes out. There is now a still-for-consideration list. In the two-man, A.J. is on the top of the points for that. Four-man not looking as good. But we're still hopeful that Israel will be able to represent itself at the Olympics. Paris skaters
1: Nate Bartolomé and Katie McBeath are competing this weekend at the Four Continents Championships in Estonia.
0: I saw them on the plane there, going there. That's so exciting
1: for them. Yeah, this is their first big international competition. I mean, they've done some of the Grand Prix, but this is a whole other level. So this is pretty exciting for them.
0: Good for them. I'm looking forward to see what they do in the next year or two because that partnership will have more time to gel when i saw this again tears pride aaron jackson is on the cover of the sports illustrated olympics preview she's one of four cover athletes the others are michaela schifrin jesse diggins and abby roke and and she's got a beautiful story written about her as well beautiful profile piece um we will have a link to that in the show notes and i have my copy on order i have to tell you that
1: <laughs> that it's frameable it's
0: really a beautiful shot yeah so congratulations to aaron this is the first time you've broken out the dance to that music <laughs> well, i told you i was ready I have a little Beijing dance now I'm gonna have to
1: post that (laughs) look for for that on an Instagram reel yeah right there might be some dancing
0: yeah we won't get that done next week because next I I have less than a week before my travels start which is a little scary when I think about what I still have to do and what is starting to pack but yeah my travels will start next week I will fly to Connecticut well, I will fly to New York, get picked up and transported to Connecticut. Nobody flies to Connecticut. Come on. <laughs> I will take my, I have my COVID tests scheduled. They are at an approved laboratory. Hopefully I have scheduled them correctly. And then we'll have a show. From Connecticut. And then I hop on a plane and go to Singapore and then to Beijing. And I'm there, hopefully. It doesn't feel real yet. I don't
1: think I'll believe no. you're going until you're there. Because so many, and I hate to say this, so many things can go wrong. We talked about this in our, our call-in show, the tests and the testing and the the paperwork. and the. There are so many hurdles to jump. And as close as it is, it still feels so far away. And I get now a little bit, just at the tiniest little taste of how the athletes feel when they're oh, waiting right. for the official word, how Josh just got. And you know it's coming and you know, but when it actually happens. It's a whole other level.
0: Yeah, it's really weird. I've been tracking my health every day in the Beijing 2020, my 2022 app, which is great for any hypochondriacs out there who are traveling
1: to (laughs) Beijing.
0: Well, it's funny because my thermometer is in Fahrenheit degrees and I have to remember to set it on Fahrenheit first instead of inputting the temperature and then clicking the F or the C because it will say this temperature is impossible because it'll be like 97.1 degrees Celsius. And they're like, no, that's not possible. And then head I switch is exploding. It. And then I switch it to Fahrenheit and then they then they translate it for you. So it's like 212 degrees. And they're like, this is not possible. So I have to start all over again.
1: I am actually the sun.
0: <laughs> Coming your way. Okay. Also at Beijing, invited fans only.
1: They've stopped selling tickets to the general public. So I'm guessing this invited fan pool is going to be tested, vaccinated, cleared. So the stands won't be empty like they were in Tokyo, but it's going to be very limited and it's going to be invited. We we don't really know much of the details of what that means.
0: Right. And I think for the IOC's sake and the organizing committee's sake. They really wanted to have fans there and having the Delta wave and now the Omicron wave just spread throughout the world. It's been touch and go. So this is what they can get. And they're going to be happy with that.
1: There'll be some cheering, you know, more than just the coaches and the other athletes. There'll be Jill with her cowbell.
0: No, I'm not packing the cowbell. No. no, you will be so disappointed with me. You okay, will bring
1: me the cowbell, and I will bring the cowbell.
0: No, I'm not bringing the cowbell.
2: <laughs> I told be, Josh you...
1: you were bringing the cowbell. So I'm buying so my own trouble. cowbell yeah. and
0: ringing that darn thing. Fine. Fine. Though I have heard that the press area can be very nationalistic. How can it not? And more importantly,
1: again, we've talked about this before. We got into this because we love the Olympics. A lot of sports journalists got into this because they love sports. And just like we've interviewed so many people and like Josh, we've seen his whole career in a way, you get attached. I mean, we're still people first and journalists second. And when, when you see them perform, you just, you can't help but get excited. And it is the Olympics or the Paralympics. And it is as big as it gets. And you know, I'm not even worried about nationalistic. I mean, let's be serious. If somebody's doing something pretty exciting, we're gonna cheer. We're gonna get excited. And if you don't, I'm gonna be very disappointed in you.
0: I will be excited on the inside.
1: Stop being so Midwestern.
0: There I I do struggle with having that journalistic I don't wanna say integrity, but being a journalist with the impetus that you're supposed to be fair and balanced and i know that we can be fair and balanced because we'll we'll be excited for pretty much any medal winner we will be excited for any shukla no matter where they finish we will be excited for the people from small countries there's a couple of uh skiers from malaysia who just got put in to who got their ticket to the game i'm very excited for them i'm excited for everybody but i'll find a different way to show it besides in the event center maybe Denmark has joined the diplomatic boycott. This decision comes after the EU countries failed to agree upon a common stance at a meeting in Brest this past week, as reported by Reuters. Netherlands has also announced that it is not sending a diplomatic delegation. What does that mean? Your favorite won't be in the stands? My guess
1: is there will be no royals. There'll be no King Willem Alexander in his orange scarf, which is disappointing. But I'm hoping that they will show them cheering at home which isn't quite Although, the same but as long as he's wearing his orange scarf
0: oh how could he not be
1: but you know who the netherlands is sending the <laughs> biggest possible long track speed skating team they are the only country to hit the max quota shockingly
0: and finally a bust of t-buck was unveiled in Dongxi community olympic park in beijing it joins the statue of Pierre de Coubertin and busts of Juan Antonio Samaranch and Jacques Rogue. Juan Antonio Samaranch was president of the IOC when Beijing was awarded the 2008 games and Jacques Rogue was president during those games. And then I believe when they, and also when they were awarded to Beijing for 2022.
1: My <laughs> opinions on the bust will be in the Facebook page, I believe, coming tomorrow. So please follow us on Facebook and you'll get to hear what I think about this bust. I'll save it for there.
0: Well, you know what, then that means let's just wrap up the show now so people go can go and check out the Facebook page. That'll do it for this week. Let us know what you think about wheelchair
1: curling. We love to hear from you, so get in touch with us. Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call or text us at 208 352 6348. That's 208 Flame It. Our social handle is at Flame Alive Pod. And as I said, be sure to join the Keep the Flame Alive Podcast group on Facebook.
0: Next week will be our first book club meeting of 2022, which means Book Club Claire will be back on the show and we will be talking about Boycott, Stolen Dreams of the 1980 Moscow Olympic Games by Tom Craccioli and Jerry Crocioli. So thank you so much for listening and until next time, keep the flame alive.